What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, part of the Believe Network. We're coming to you after the New England Revolution concluded their season with a 2-1 victory over the Philadelphia Union thanks to two Gustavo Bow goals. That win left the Revolution in the fifth seed heading into the playoffs with a first-round matchup coming against number four seed Philadelphia again, kicking off next Saturday. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. Greg, how's it going? Doing well. It was a very great weekend, a beautiful fall weekend uh, down here. Uh, got to get out a little bit, got to go to the zoo, got to see the Revs win, got to see the Patriots win, uh, which I did not see coming whatsoever. And I've been crushing it on my World Series bets, not so much on the soccer bets, uh, but I've been crushing it in the World Series bets uh, this week. So, or sorry, ALCS, NLCS uh, bets, I should say. So uh, all things going well down here. Sean, how are you? I'm good. You know, I spent most of this week in London. Uh, I'm a little bit jet lagged still. It still feels a little bit later than it actually is for me. So hopefully I'll make it through this one. I think it's going to be a very long one. But I, I got to go to uh, Wembley for England versus Italy earlier this week. And then I got to, also got to tour Tottenham Stadium. So all in all, a good week. Uh, and we, yeah, we, the we, Rare Patriots we, win. <laughs> yeah, we probably don't have time for a Tottenham 20, but it's the first time we've done a show together. Do you want to do maybe like the Tottenham 10 and give us a real quick update on how the Spurs are doing? I mean, Spurs play Monday, so they were in first place, but now they didn't get to play yet this weekend, so they're no longer in first place. But so far, it's been a fantastic season, and for the first time in a while, they're actually fun to watch. So, again, can't complain. Definitely <laughs> definitely won't end in disappointment. <laughs> Anyways, I, I should have segged right into our sponsor talk, because you're talking about your good bets on MLB, and where's the best place to do that? Bet Online. It's a Texas showdown in the MLB postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all of your baseball wagering info with up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. They have everything you need to stay up to speed on each LCS all the way through the World Series. Head to the website today or use your mobile devi- device to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo, promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts greg a lot to talk about today are you ready to get into our takeaways which are brought to you by our friends at the rebellion supporters group yes i would love to get into our key takeaways and my key takeaway here too is this is exactly what the team needed um this was a close game 2-1 and and philadelphia you know if it wasn't for an offsides call towards the end looks like it looks like the revs would have conceded again late which is a little concerning that uh, there was a uh, free runner on that set piece there. But overall, I I think you need to argue that the Revs were the stronger team of the day. Uh, 2.08 expected goals to 0.83, according to foot mob. 
uh, the union's goal was, I'll say, kind of flukely, fluky, totally an error on the revolution's part between and also uh, offside. <laughs> also, also, well, wait, also offside. But you could also argue, I feel, Jacob Jackson could have gotten red carded for his kind of half tackle there, don't you think? Oh, it was it was a penalty kick, hundred percent. If if that was not if that was actually correctly called offside. Yes. So either way, I think that a union goal is fair in that scenario, and I think there's a lot of blame to, to go there on the Revolution. But I think skill-wise, the Revolution came out and were the stronger team, and that's the first time we've seen that really since League's Cup, in my opinion, that we've had a game that the Revs really looked confident and strong. If you look at the heat maps and if you look at the passing networks uh, on MLS soccer, I mean, the wingbacks uh, were able to push up forward, and they played pretty phenomenally. Um, if not phenomenally, pretty well. Um, they they seemed very dangerous. It seemed like this was a team that knew where to be. They were very functional. The offense was clicking. Um, just a very confident performance and very different from bleeding goals in the, the past couple of weeks, kind of adding in new wrinkles to the scheme and, and not really working out. It seems like they kind of went back to basics. And, you know, I, I think uh, I've talked about this before. I, I don't blame PA for trying new different things. Cause as I say, I, I don't think the revs would have won MLS cup with the way things were going when he acquired the team, but he, he did read the room and saw that we need to go back to what the way this team was playing before. And I, I think this, I don't want to say this is a get right game, but they, they needed one of these before going into the playoffs. And I think going into the playoffs against this team that you just beat is only going to add some more confidence. So I'm a little bit more glass half full than I've been the last two or three episodes that I've, I've been on this show. Uh, but this is exactly what the team needed. And as I say, not a commanding result by any means with a 2-1 victory. Uh, but I think on paper and, and in the locker room, this is going to be a big boost for the revolution. Yeah, I completely agree. And it was one of those games, too, where they started well and then they gave up that fluky 13th minute goal. And you thought this could be the moment where this team collapses, right? Because even even with a good start, with everything that's gone on, you, know, you, you were wondering if this moment would just destroy the team and, and the good start they'd have would fall apart. And it didn't. You know, they continued to play well. Um, there was a little bit of a moment there, I think, for a little bit where they you know, weren't as into the game as they were early, but they found a way to get back into the game, scored those two goals. And the resilience, given everything that's gone on and then given that fluky pretty bad goal that they gave up early on to go away and, and get a win here, I think is huge for this team's confidence going forward. Had, had they lost this game, I think all of us were writing the team off and ready to you know see them lose in the first round in two, in two straight games and have that have that end quite quite quickly but this game at least gives you some hope going forward that you know this team can actually pull things off and my takeaway is very similar to yours so i i guess i won't separate it um my takeaway is that, that there's enough talent on this team to make some noise in the playoffs if clint pa keeps the tactics straight forwards and relies on those who are performing and you mentioned the tactics it, it had been a bit of a mess over the last several games he tried a few different things you know, last week you can kind of throw away because he didn't have many options um given who was available but you know the inverted fullback with Matt Polster playing left back and midfield at the same time clearly it wasn't working and I think it took him a little bit longer to get away from that than it should have uh but this game he finally went with you know two natural fullbacks having Spalding on the left Dewan Jones on the right you know it's his center back pairing of who was available with Dave Romney and Andrew Farrell and the team looked a lot more comfortable playing in positions where these guys are used to Matt Polster was back in the midfield and then putting Tommy McNamara a guy who was a key part of this team in 2021 when they won the supporter shield but missed a lot of the season injured and hadn't started yet this year and I think that was kind of a calming presence to have his, his veteran leadership out there uh, and probably something that the Revs needed given how the last several weeks have gone so 
you know, I have a lot of questions about Clint PA's tactics over the past several weeks. I think he got it absolutely right in this game. And, you know, the revs show that, again, beating a team in Philadelphia, they're going to be playing right right now in the first round, uh, that there's certainly enough talent on this team for them to make some noise in the playoffs if they keep doing what they did in this game. And if you look at the attacking three in Bo, Heel, Chancolet, I think what really it seems like it's clicked with them. They seem to all play off each other very, very well. All of them had five shots on the day. Uh, Bo had 1.17 expected goals. He had 0.55. Shankly had 0.35. They're also packing, passing back and forth. Bo with 0.11 expected assists. Heal with 0.52. Uh, Shankly with 0.34. Um, they all seem to be connecting very, very well with the wingbacks around them and with each other. So I, I thought this was a, a very good showing by the revolution and it, they seemed very dangerous from start to finish uh, on the attacking side of the ball. So uh, one, one more thing though, and we'll, we'll talk about the play between Jackson and Romney a little bit later, but I want to talk about probably the most disturbing and just horrific part of that play is what was Apple TV doing with that double screen? If you're going to bring up a goal from a different game, can you put it in a little mini screen in the corner? Like I appreciate the kind of going around. I appreciate the decision day coverage. I think that's one of the benefits to Apple TV and I think they nailed it. Uh, But can you please not take up two thirds of the screen? I'm trying to watch the game. So uh, just a little memo there to Apple TV. I know the executives listen to every show, but uh, my goodness, what, what on earth were they doing there? Um, Anyway, just had to get that out. Yeah, I know you, I agree with everything you just said there, but you know, the striker situation too, I think is something we should talk about quickly uh, and, and what Clem Pierre did, which is I think, I think that's what he also got right here is, you know, we've been talking about the Revs needing to play with two two strikers up top and, you know, making an opportunity for, for you to play better if there's a striker next to him or, you know, if Gustavo Bo needs a striker next to him, but instead of trying to force Wood or Rioni onto the field, who neither of whom have been performing lately, he put his three t- most talented attackers, three guys that can create opportunities for themselves and for others and don't necessarily need a lot of help to get a shot off uh, in Gustavo Bo, Chancle, and Carlos Heel, obviously. And, you know, it works very, really well. And you talk about Gustavo Bo and wanting to pair him with kind of a natural striker with, you know, some heading ability and you know, Bobby Wood. But I think there, he made the right decision here is, yes, Gustavo Bo might not be at his best as the lone striker, but you know, the team is probably at its best playing in that situation, in that in that formation. And, it, you know, he found a way to get his best talented attacking trio on the field and playing, even if it didn't necessarily, you know, result in, a two striker system that everyone's been saying they need to play at least, at least not with a natural striker next to Gustavo Bo. Well, I think a lot of the two striker discussion was around Giacomo Vrioni who did not play in this game. And truth be told, I, I think at this point he hasn't figured it out. We've talked all season long about him figuring it out. And it seemed like he was kind of turning the corner um, at league's cup, but it, it seems like he's kind of fallen off a little bit. So uh, I think this is your lineup and your tactics going in. Uh, this is the best they've looked in a while. So, and ho- hopefully they look as dangerous as they did last night. Yeah. I agree with the exception of, you know, maybe Henry Kessler goes in for Andrew Farrell if he's, if he's healthy, but uh, other than that, I think this is the lineup and Clint Pierre's finally found it. So, so yeah. about time. Well, I, I, also Kessler too. The team said he's being held out for precautionary reasons um, as he recovers from a hamstring injury. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it, that's it not true, but it doesn't make any sense to why he hasn't played a full ninety. He's played about a hundred minutes over two games. You don't know when your next game is. I mean, we don't, we know now, but it could be another, you know, week and a half off or a week off. So it, it was weird that. At the very least, he wasn't on the bench. Um, and and I think 
Seth McComer reported that he didn't train um, on Friday, uh, but the team made a point to say he was at training all week, or I, I don't remember the exact wording. There might be some um, technicalities working around with the wording, but I don't know if I'm 100% confident on I, – I imagine if he's healthy, he's going to be in there. Um, but a little concerning that he is missing this game and is at the very least not available on the bench. I think it's very concerning, and I think you know, regardless of what they said, it implies to me that there was you know some sort of setback, even if minor, right? Like it's hard to see him if everything was going smoothly and in a good trajectory that he would have you know sat out at practice and then not even been in the squad for this game because it was a home game too, right? It was, it, it, maybe if you were traveling somewhere, you didn't want him to go on a plane, and you know, maybe I could see more of it, but. It, you know, not even including him on the bench to me implies there's some sort of setback. I, I, you know, I don't have inside knowledge to question what they said, but it, it doesn't quite add up to me. <laughs> the ink hasn't even dried on that contract yet. Maybe he hurt his wrist uh, signing uh, that, that big new deal of his. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great sign. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, we have a lot of questions. Uh, should we jump right into them? Absolutely. All right, let's start, start with, uh, also, Alfred on Twitter, who says he he did not like Gustavo Bo taking the penalty kick with Carlos on the field. He thinks in his head that Bo is about eighty percent success rate at the penalty kick, and Carlos is ninety eight percent. I personally found it unusual that Bo was taking that. What was your thoughts on that? I, it surprised me. I'm surprised too. I think Carlos Hill is your best penalty kick taker. Let's read between some lines here. Sometimes you give the penalty kick off for sentimental reasons, and I know there were some comments. Uh, after the game about Gustavo Bo, uh, I believe he was talking to Sam Minton of the Blazing Musket, maybe it was Tom Quinlan of WPRO, um, where Bo is aware of his contract situation. He's enjoying, you know, if these are his last few games in New England, he's enjoying them. Um, I, I wonder if Carlos Heel gave that to Gustavo Bo and they had some sort of agreement uh, because Gustavo Bo may not be scoring many goals in New England anymore. No, of course, he scores later in the game, but I, I was under the um, my guess, I shouldn't say I'm under the impression, but my guess is that it has something to do with Gustavo Bo potentially uh, being on his way out. So my guess was, I did not think that deep into it. That makes some sense. My guess was that it was simply the Revs don't have a goal, don't have strikers that have been scoring goals. And Gustavo Bo scored his last goal on August 3rd. They need some momentum going into the playoffs. They need a goal scorer to get hot. And I, my, my thought was that, you know, here's an opportunity for Gustavo Bo to put one in the back of the net before the playoffs and, and you know, maybe get his confidence up and, and get going just in time for the playoffs. That, that's what I was thinking. I still didn't love the idea. Um, if, if he if he doesn't score, I think there's a lot more questions about it. But it, my, my thought was that maybe they were trying to just get get him some confidence and have a striker put a ball in the back of the net before the, before the playoffs start. It is worth noting, too, I believe in these stupid playoff system, 90 minutes and then it goes straight to penalty kicks, which is how it was in League's Cup. So odds are, you know, if you make a deep run in the playoffs, at some point you might have to do a maybe it's just that way for the actually for the best of three. I'd have to double check that. But either way, there's a very good chance Gustavo Bo is going to need to step up and take a penalty kick um, with the game on the line or uh, have a very big impact uh, in those penalty kick shootouts. So maybe it's just to kind of shake off the cobwebs and, and kind of, as you say, get the confidence up. Uh, Tail Forever on Twitter says, we seem to defend better in transition today. What changed? Very, very good question. I think, one, you're going back to the normal four-man back line and a, I'll call it a four-two-three-one. I mean, the shape obviously fluctuated around a little bit, but you kind of went back to your old system that you are used to. You're not doing a three-man back line 
with uh, Kessler and Omar and and Romney and Romney needing to go out and kind of cover the space on the left wing uh, and Kessler kind of swinging swinging out to the right wing. Or there's no inverted left back situation where Polster's up the field and so your your center backs kind of get spread out a little bit more. I, I think this is just a formation that they are comfortable with. And um, I also think, too, Tommy McNamara coming back in, we talked about this a little bit, you know, Tommy McNamara and Polster have played together a ton. And so even though this is his first start of the season, and even though he's coming off of an Achilles injury, which he's he's getting up there in age, I I believe he's past 30, he's going to know his roles and responsibilities. And so I I think this was just a formation that everyone on the team kind of knew their responsibilities, they knew where to be, and it was just a little bit easier for them to gel. So I'm guessing this is just kind of a familiarity and, and, and knowing their roles, whereas the past month, you can kind of tell, even though they've practiced things and worked on them in training, out there when you got to the game, uh, it was it was pretty easy for teams to figure out, you know, just boot it down the wing and chase after the ball or, you know, get one center back to step up and it's a total scramble. So uh, I think they were just a lot more organized uh, yesterday. Yeah, I agree with it. And I think just having Polster back in midfield makes a huge difference. He's been such a key part of this team uh, in that defensive midfield role and letting him play his natural spot and not have to also play left back. It makes a huge, a huge, a huge difference. And then you mentioned Tommy Mack as well and the comfort level there. So uh, I think that combination has had a lot to do with it. Um, Tail Forever also wants to know were there logical subs the Revs could have made? And Porter on Discord says, rate the lack of substitutions. Would you have done anything different? Yeah, the subs were interesting. Um, and I've looked at this a few times. I feel like you should bring on some subs at some point. I think Mark Anthony K coming on at some point, whether it be for McNamara or Polster, would have been fine um, kind of as a defensive substitution. Uh, I think you could have put on Omar Gonzalez if you were really trying to park the bus and take off uh, either Sean Calais or uh, Noel Buck. Um, you know, even Boateng didn't come in, but you didn't need a goal, so I understand why he didn't come on. I understand why Wood and Vrioni did not come on, although I, I wouldn't have hated Vrioni or Wood, for either one of them, for Gustavo Bo um, earlier than Justin Rennox, maybe, you know, at the 75-minute mark. But I think sometimes, I think when coaches feel like they're in control of the game and they're on the stronger foot, why make changes? And so I'm, I'm guessing that's what Klimpier did yesterday. Uh, so I, I don't blame him too, too much. Uh, but I I would have put in Mark Anthony K probably for Tommy McNamara, maybe in the 75th minute, just to get a little bit more defensive uh, and kind of add, I don't know, get some fresher legs out there. Um, Cause as I say, this still was a two one game. So I, I think you could have gone a little more defensive at some point. Well, I guess that, depends on if you think the revs could have gone and scored two goals and, and jumped into the fourth seed right and then had home field advantage for the playoffs and i think that was part of the reason why you wouldn't necessarily make a sub defensively because you're kind of you're kind of balancing between two two minds here and that you know you want the win for confidence but also there is a you know tiny chance you could jump into the fourth seed if you score two more goals so you don't necessarily want to go defensive and you know maybe in the 90th minute when you're bringing on Renix, you bring on k to you know lock it down because at that point you're not going to, to score two goals but i you know i i can kind of see why it was tough um for clint pia to, to make a sub in this one and you know it also gets down to like you said you know they're trying to hold out and get the win things were going right do you really want to switch things up and and unfortunately a lot of the guys on the bench uh, haven't necessarily shown too well under Clint Pierre. I've made some some you know catastrophic mistakes under Clint Pierre where you, know, you wouldn't necessarily want to bring him on. So I, I look at the bench and I do have trouble kind of figuring out who you want to bring on. Kay is the obvious one, um, putting him on for McNamara. I think that's one that I would have thought about doing, um, but he hasn't been that great in recent weeks. And then you know I'm always a fan of bringing on on Boateng when you have an opportunity, but I don't know that I would have in this game. Um, I certainly wouldn't have taken out Chancolay. Uh, you know maybe you take out. You know, no buck, and you give Boateng a run out. I 
wouldn't have hated that idea. But uh, you know, all things considered, I, you know, I, I'm usually questioning Bruce Arena when he was the coach and not making subs. But in this in this one particular situation, I I kind of get it. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out too because you mentioned moving up in the table, and I would need to go back and look at an exact timeline of where teams were in the live standings. But Atlanta finishes with 51 points. The Revs finish with 55 points. So even if they conceded two goals to Philadelphia late, they still would have finished in the five seed. So it's totally possible that someone has pulled up live standings and is telling Clint in the 70th minute, there's really no downside to losing points here. We need to go for them. Um, or we, you know, we need to get up that goal differential and and o- overtake Philadelphia in the final few minutes. I, I could totally see that being in the equation. Uh, so you know, we need to put in two more, uh, and we'll get a home game as opposed to you know, if we you know draw this game, it really doesn't mean anything standings wise. So I, I think that's now that you've ex- you've said that, uh, I think there's definitely a good possibility that that was going on. Yeah, it's it's really a, t- a tough spot to be in because you, you know, again for momentum reasons, you want that win, but winning by two more goals would have made a whole world of difference for the Revs. Um, certainly, certainly having two out of three games at home is huge. Um, we'll see how that affects the Revs going forward, but uh, I I completely get why you'd want to have in the back of your head that you know, get two more goals, get the four seed. Um, a couple questions about Tommy McNamara. We talked about him. Derek Terrell on Twitter says, 2021 Polster plus T-Mac duo is back. They were great. Keep K on the bench. TSB11 on Discord says, who had Tommy McNamara being a better fit for our midfield than Mark Anthony K and their 2023 bingo card? Yeah, I don't want to hammer it too much because I know we have a million things to talk about after listener questions too. Uh, but, you know, Tommy McNamara has some familiarity with with Matt Polster and this system. Uh, 82% pass accuracy on the day, 40 for 49. Uh, 54 touches. He had five passes into the uh, final third. Uh, he had five recoveries. He was one for three uh, on duels. Uh, so, you, you know, as I say, not too much action uh, on the defensive side of things uh, duel-wise, but, um, you know, certainly seemed to kind of fit like a glove, and it was nice to see him get a full 90 minutes after suffering that terrible Achilles injury uh, earlier this year. But, yeah, not he, he's not a sexy player. You know, he's a journeyman MLS, you know, midfielder who's been around forever and bounced around, and he's over 30. And, you know, I know a lot of people get on him for being kind of the weak spot, but he, he's a very good role player that can kind of come in and, and fill a spot start. And it sounds like Ian Harks is not coming back anytime soon. So, um, you know, hopefully we can recreate some of that 2021 magic with T-Mac. Yeah, only, only thing I'll say is that, you know, I did not necessarily see Tommy McNamara as coming in and being a starter playoff time, but um, I, I'm not shocked that Mark Anthony Kay hasn't worked out quite as well as some had hoped because as, I, as I've said before, he hasn't been that player he was in LAFC uh, in several years. So, you know, you'd hope that you'd make it a little bit more out of him than you have. And he's been you know serviceable, but I'm not surprised that he hasn't been, you know, a world beater must start type player um, from what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, several questions are comments and questions about Gustavo Bo, unsurprisingly. Uh, Derek Trell on Twitter says, I said it last week and I'll keep saying it again, extend Gustavo Bo, even though that was really bad goalkeeping from Blank on the second goal. Uh, Teal Forever says, I know it might be Bo's last regular season game. If it is, what a wonderful way to end, especially the classic Bo to Carly's heel goal. Um, and DC on Twitter says, Bo has to be re-signed. The best pure scorer we have. Can we get him on a Max Tam deal? Yeah, it's worth noting, too, I believe Frank DeLapa of the Boston Globe tweeted out today that Gustavo Bo now has 50 goals for the revolution uh, across all competitions, which is quite an achievement. Um, and he's going to go down as one of the greatest you know, revolution strikers uh, of all time. Um, with that said, 
and the rules might change. Maybe they're going to add another designated player spot. So it's not as egregious if he's a designated player. But a lot of the conversation I have, I hear about Gustavo Bo as well, bring him back on TAM money, bring him back on, you know, lesser money. You know, maybe Gustavo Bo doesn't want to take a 50% pay cut. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to take a 60% pay cut. And that's essentially what you're asking him to do. So I, I don't know where his demands are, but I think at his age and the amount of games he plays, um, it, it will be very hard for the revolution to bring him back as a designated player. In my opinion, I, I think it's, if he's willing to negotiate his contract down to 1 million, 1.2 million, that might be reasonable. I, I think you could make an argument that's still overpaying a little bit for a kind of a luxury good. Uh, but you know, it, it's, he, he certainly is a quality player when he's on the field. Yeah. I, I completely agree with all that. And I, I, I you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, out of the question that he would resign on a max TM deal. I think that that is possible. I mean, I think he was asked after the game uh, by Tom Quinlan about, you know, whether this was his last game and he was talked about how much he liked it here and how this was the longest he's been with any club and his family has adapted. Well, his daughter's adapted. Well, maybe there is a scenario where he wants to keep his kids in school here. He doesn't want to uproot his family. Uh, He's, you know, he likes it here and he's changed his mind a bit about going back to to Argentina uh, to play as the end of his career there. And and he re-signs for Max Tam, which is still a lot of money. Um, And at this point in his career, maybe he's not, you know, he realizes he's not worth much more than that. Um, So I, I could see that happening. If I was a betting man, I would say he's probably gone. On. Um, but I, I, I'm not completely, you know, I, I'm not writing off that possibility. Um, and with that said, I completely agree with you. I don't think he, I don't think you can bring him back as a designated player, given his age and given his general availability recently. I, I don't see his availability and his health getting better at this age. So, you know, he's been a fantastic player for the revolution, uh, you know, great goal scorer. He's, he's really etched his name into the revolution history books. Um, and if they can bring him back on a Tim deal, I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but I, I, I can't see him coming back as a designated player at his age, giving his availability. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, his comments I found interesting and in talking about how much he liked it here and how much his family likes it here, because I think that, you know, any player that comes into their mind when they're thinking about their next move is, you know, is their family happy where they are and uh, will they be happier where they go next? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's worth noting, too, last couple of years, he had uh, 1,600 minutes played in 2022, uh, 1,266 this year in 2023. So, um, you know, he, he's about that's a long way off from 2326 and 2021. Um, so his his minutes are declining down and you essentially have to play him as a guy that might be available 60% of the time. And, and that's really hard to justify a designated player spot for. Even if you add one, it's just really, really hard to to justify that um unless you have a very very strong team and you essentially don't need that other designated player spot um yeah that, that's uh i'm just kind of reading through the quote here uh gustavo bow and then we'll get to the next question but uh bow said quote yeah i know it could be one of my last games here we all know my contract ends at the end of the season i haven't talked too much or had many conversations about my future but i just try to enjoy in the moment and focus on day to day that's my mentality and that's the way i've been since my first day here if these are my last games with the club i want them to be my best games and I want to play them in the best way possible. These four years, I've enjoyed them a lot. My family has adapted well. My daughters have adapted well. Bruce was really confident in bringing me here. And when he brought me here, and I'll always be thankful for the club. Uh, there's a phrase that I always say, football takes you where football wants to take you, not where you want it to take you. Uh, it's my first time in my career that I spent this many years at a club. And I'm just filling the contract and I'm enjoying this, thinking that it could be one of my last games, making me emotional because I've had so many great memories with this club. But that's all I can say. That sounds like a guy that's on his way out. 
and and so I, I don't know if it's he's demanding too much or if it's that the revs are looking elsewhere or it, it probably is a little bit of column a and a little column b um but it it sounds like he's on his way out yeah i i, I i'm just trying to unfortunately look up the max tam number for next year just because i'm curious but my my guess is also is that it's not it wouldn't be as big of a pay cut um to go from his dp salary now to a max tam deal next year as you might think uh but again i i still think the most likely scenario is he's gone shout out to josh and i for sending that to me uh as soon as humanly possible by the way (laughs) i i I, quick dm hey someone send me that gustavo bo quote uh and josh and i is there to pick me up so shout out josh thank you josh (laughs) Um, anyways, so now we've got some questions on Tomas Vosleek. Not surprising. Uh, James Downing says, what is going on with Tomas Vosleek? And is Jacob Jackson good enough to lead the Revs to an MLS Cup? Sam Mitten, our good friend from the Bet Musket, says, hello, Greg. First time, long time. Do you think that Tomas Vosleek graces the field in 2023? And if so, is that the best thing for the team? I'll hang up and li- listen. Uh, Eric Hopskett Bullock on Discord says, going into the playoffs, do you like what you've seen from Jackson or do you go back to Earl? Well, let's uh, let's put that last one aside. Let's just talk about Vasek. I don't think we see him at all. And um, I know there was a quote to Tom Quinlan reported uh, that the Revs signed Vasek despite knowing his persistent mobility issues. One source said of Vasek, he can't walk straight. Um, I, I don't. I I 100 believe. Uh, Tom in his reporting. I, I find that quote very interesting. I wonder if that's uh, someone from Revs management or uh, maybe a player that has seen uh, Thomas because I, I imagine that management, you know, I talked about this with Andy a few weeks ago. They obviously had him in for a physical. And, you know, if I'm trying to explain what exactly is happening here, my guess, if I'm to, to guesstimate, is that, you know, they were blocked from Josh Cohen. Um, I don't know if we explained this on the pod, but there was a story a few weeks ago that Josh Cohen filed a, filed a grievance against Atlanta United because Atlanta has his homegrown or not his homegrown rights, sorry, his um, MLS discovery rights, I believe. And Josh Cohen, who is playing in, I believe, the Israeli Premier League, wants to return to MLS and the Revs were interested. But Atlanta essentially had, you know, unreasonable expectations for a trade and they offered him an MLS Next Pro contract. And so he's essentially blocked from returning to Major League Soccer. The Revs also tried trading for the, the backup from Portland. That seemed to get shut down. So they clearly had some other targets, and I'm guessing what's happened here is Vetsleek came in for a training session and a physical. They flew him over from Europe. It was probably a situation where he's not going to fly back and forth to Europe, so they saw him you know, train once, and they said, you know, let's roll the dice, and maybe he'll get in shape, and he, he just hasn't. Um, and uh, it's very bizarre that this signing was made because the reason you make this signing is now, and if he's not going to contribute right away why do you sign him so i don't even remember the questions do we see him this year i would say no we're we're going full force with what we've had and i think they only use him in case of an emergency even if he is healthy it it doesn't seem like he's performing very well and then what was the first question sean i don't remember um james downing's question oh is is jacob jackson good enough to lead the revs mls cup oh and that touch well no but uh, to, (laughs) to, to touch on to eric's question though if i've seen enough of Jacob Jackson, if I'd roll with him or if I'd go back to Earl, you know, Jacob, obviously with the communication error with Romney in the first half, but that does, that's not an indicator of skill. That's kind of a, um, that's a communication issue and a communication breakdown. And that comes with time skill wise. I think Jacob Jackson has shown a pretty solid reaction time. Um, he's made some pretty solid saves. Uh, he's had a couple blips on the radar, but you know, he's been testing these two games and I, 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 I'm not, nervous about him um I, I don't have much 
difference in my mind between Edwards and Jackson right now. But I, I think in case of a tie, you go with the young guy. And I think he's played fine. Uh, I think he's done very, very well, minus the communication error with Romney. And hopefully that gets ironed out over the next few weeks. But in terms of skill and athletic ability, uh, I, I've been fine with Jacob Jackson. So I think that's who you're going to see going forward. And that's who I'd go forward with. Yeah, I agree. Um, first of all, I go back. I, I don't think there's any chance we see Thomas Vasilek in 2023 unless unless there's serious injury problems that lead to them needing him in an emergency. But otherwise, I, I think there's no way at this point if he didn't play in the regular season that he plays in the playoffs, barring injuries. Um, but yeah, I think I think you stick with Jackson. I think we've seen him play two games in a row. I think Clint Pia is going to stick with him. Uh, I think the ceiling is higher with Jackson. I think he's a better shot stopper. You know, I think with Earl though, you you probably have a higher floor, and that you know. The, Jackson's not that experienced. Um, you saw that mistake in this game. I think there's potential you see more mistakes. Uh, but I think if, if you're going on, what gives you the better chance of going far uh, in the MLS playoffs? I think you go with Jackson. Um, and I think that's what they're going to do. But again, you know, I, do, he has he's only played two games. Don't be shocked if there's more miscommunication errors that could lead to a, another goal. Um, I think that's the risk you're taking by going with Jackson. So. And, and I believe Brian Bolello made a comment at the Spurs Summit, which we'll talk about later. But he made a comment that's like, you know, Kevin Hitchcock is picking the guys that he thinks is best suited. It seems like Hitchcock has a lot to say in who's getting the starts. And I trust Kevin Hitchcock a lot. So I, I, I'm i fine with Jacob Jackson, but you're right. Um, it, it seems like a riskier pick uh, with a lower floor and a higher ceiling. Yeah, that, that was a very uh, interesting quote, I thought, from from Brian Bolello at the Supporters Summit. Um, but yeah, I, I also trust Kevin Hitchcock's judgment on, on who's the best guy to go with. Um, just one more question on this. Well, partly on this. Georgie Petrovic fan page on Twitter says, I would like to know opinions on signing Vasilik with his injury history, and do we keep Giacomo on for another season after two, tra- two straight seasons of no real improvement, or do we cut both of these guys and look for a new DP striker and a day-in, day-out goalkeeper? Well, in terms of Vatsleek, I, I kind of touched on this. I, I don't know if you want to expand anymore, but it does. this is a signing for this year. So, and he's not going to play this year. So right off the bat, it seems like a failed signing. Now, we said this at the time. This guy has the resume. He, he did a good job with Huddersfield Town. Um, it's just a matter of being fit and being healthy. So maybe he comes in next year and plays very well. But, you know, if Jacob Jackson plays in the playoffs and looks fine, do we need this guy? Um, I have major questions on why. <laughs> why did we do this? Um, and because it just seems like they made a move out of desperation. And I mean, certainly Earl Edwards and, and Jacob Jackson, you know, they're not Georgia Petrovic. Those are tough shoes to fill. But I, I also don't think those guys are horrible enough that it's like, well, we'll we got to sign someone. So this was a major major judgment issue here. And I'll also say, and I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the Henry Kessler thing, Curtin Offo's contract is up at the end of the year. He probably wants to have a deep playoff run. And that's probably going to help him, you know, keep his job uh, and keep his sporting director job. I'm sure he's in the running because uh, he's done a good job at the Academy. So a, a deep playoff run certainly helps your chances. And, you know, maybe he's making this signing as kind of a roll of the dice because if it doesn't work out well, he's gone anyway, if it does work out, he's a genius. So, um, I, I, maybe there's a little bit of that behind the scenes too. Do you have anything to add on that, Sean, or should I hop right into the next question on that? Well, I, I, I just want to say based on his resume and what he's done in his career, I completely understand the signing. It made sense to me at the time that you go out, you find a you know veteran goalkeeper that's been a starter in La Liga. Uh, he had, 
just stepped into another situation, another difficult situation where a team that was, you know, that was, you know, in the championship in England and needed to, to kind of be rescued by a backup goal, by a goalkeeper when their goalkeeper got injured. He stepped in in the middle of the season, took over, did a really good job, earned rave reviews from the fans there. It, it seemed like the right fit for what the revolution needed in a situation where, you know, it was late in the transfer window. You had to get a free agent. Um, essentially had to get a free agent. There was, there's was not much opportunity for the revolution to, you know, go out and, and, and really explore too many options. So on paper, this looked like a good move. Uh, on the other hand, I, I don't understand what went wrong with the medical um, where they didn't realize he was, you know, this out of shape and this not ready to play. Um, that to me is the real failure, but I, I, I just want to, say in some sense if you look at his resume and you know where he was coming from and and all of that that you know this move made a lot of sense on paper i just can't believe that they got to the situation where they didn't necessarily or maybe they did know what they were getting and took the risk but that, that's where that's where i'm i'm very confused as to what happened <laughs> and and Bolello also said at the sports summit we brought in a free agent that we thought was fit which is also a telling quote right so frustrating, very frustrating. You'd think a guy that just went in and, and had to come in in a pinch at Huddersfield town, you know, would know he has to come in in a pinch and play right off the bat with the revs. So somewhere down the line, either the revs didn't do due diligence or this guy just wasn't in shape and, you know, took the summer off and had one too many Coronas. So um, in terms of Rioni, I think, you know, you're going into your playoffs. He's not in the starting lineup. We've talked about this all year long, Sean. We previewed the season. We said a lot of this season is going to come down to if Rioni can figure it out. He figured it out for a little bit, but, I mean, he's not starting. Um, he hasn't scored a goal on the road in his entire Revolution career. It's been a year and a half. He came in older than Adam Buxa uh, when Adam Buxa came to the Revs. Um, I, I, I don't know if you cut him, but I certainly think you look into selling him, uh, even if it's a loss, um, you know, sell him back to uh, – wherever he played before Austria or Albania or Moldova or Belarus or whatever, find a club that, you know, in a league he can score in and recoup a little bit of that money um, and, and move on. I think that's what you, you got to do at this point. Cause I personally don't have confidence in him. I don't know what he does elite. If you're talking about a designated player attacker, you know, you need someone that is elite at something or can do something really well. You know, Shankalai can, you know, move through the defense really well and he can score and he can assist and he takes a lot of pressure off of Carlos Hill and he opens up paths for Carlos Hill. Carlos Hill is still one of the best playmakers uh, in the league. Gustavo Bo, he's, he's not what he was, but at one time, you know, anytime he was shooting the ball, it had a chance of going in, even if it was 10 yards outside the box. What is, you know, Buxa can, can score anything in the air on a header. What is my elite thing from Brioni? He's not particularly fast. His runs aren't amazing. He can really strike a ball very well from you know and finish his chances inside the box, but he's kind of a post-to-post striker, and he's not really getting open, and he's not great in the air. And I think he scored one goal from outside the box, and it was that game against Montreal where I think the goalkeeper could have done a little bit better. And his production is pretty comparable to Bobby Woods when Bobby Wood is in, in the game. So there's nothing that Brioni does incredibly well and there's nothing elite about his skill set uh, in in major league soccer and I, I think you do your best to move on from him um i'm not 100% sure if i would use the off season buyout especially if a fourth designated player is coming uh in and gustavo bo leaves um you you could work around it with rioni and and maybe give him a little bit more time and maybe start that first half of the season and maybe use the mid-season buyout like you did with Josie Alstor if you really need that space next summer um, but I'm, I, I think the Vrioni experiment, the revs should be looking into their options on that one. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of it comes down to who's the next coach and who's the next sporting director, right? Because may, maybe there's another coach that comes in that wants to play a different system that looks at Vrioni and thinks, you know, maybe he fits what what I want to do more than you know, what's been done in the past. Um, but it, you know, if it's me, I'm I'm looking at opportunities to move on from him. I I agree with you that it would be kind of a tough sell to use the the buyout on him. He's got two years left on his contract plus a club option. Um, you know, the Revs paid a, a four million dollar transfer fee for him, and then they're going to eat another. Four million on, on salary to let him go. Um, I think that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. So I, I, if I'm the Revs, I'm exploring options to move on from him and find a team that you know is still interested in him that they could transfer to, even if it's a loss on the on the transfer fee. I'm sure Vioni is not happy either, and I'm sure he's probably a willing uh, kind of transfer e to to go somewhere. Um, but I think you do everything possible to move to move him somewhere, and then you know maybe see what the next coach wants to do. Otherwise. Um, but I, I think, like you said, the the summer buyout window seems maybe more realistic to give them another six months or another whatever, however many months to, to try to figure it out uh, before you you sink <laughs> sink all that money again and um, a buyout of them. But you know, if there's an opportunity to move on from him, even at a loss, I think you take it. It's a good point about the new coach, though. Maybe the new coach implements a system where no aerial crosses, two strikers, and all of your games are at home against weaker <laughs> opponents. I think that would fit Virani very well. I you know. Like like Vasilik, you look at his resume and you see he was you know, second leading scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga, and you think he's you know he's got to have some talent, um, but we just haven't seen it. And uh, oh. you know at some point at some point you don't think you're ever going to see it. Oh, and his resume compared to Buxa, I mean, my God, Buxa was coming in from you know the the Polish division, and he was very untested. He was very green. And Vrioni, you know, Juventus Academy, a golden boot winner in Austria, which is no, you know, better league than Poland. Um, certainly more pol- polished, it seemed like. Um, yeah, just didn't work out. Sometimes Training the resume Juventus. does not translate. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 that's a tough one. Um, also, Alfred on Twitter says, Spalding is serviceable. I don't ever want to see Polster at outside back again. Kim Dawson on threads said, Spalding seemed to find a lot of success out on the left, and he's been a bit of a head-scratcher as to why they didn't use him sooner. He should stay in the starting 11 for the first playoff round. Wasn't a perfect game, but felt like we got a glimpse of what the Revs had earlier this season. Uh, thoughts on Spalding? Yes. Uh, nailed it. <laughs> um, very good uh, performance, I thought. He's a very suitable left back. Better than men's sweat, in my opinion. Um, I think Matt Polster also doesn't want to see Matt Polster at outside back. Um, This game seemed to suit him very well, playing kind of in an attacking role. I still think defensively he's not amazing. I I still think that, you know, there's a drop-off from Brandon Byatt right back to to Ryan Spalding at left back. But he's a very, very good backup left back. Um, And I'm curious to see what the Revs do with him in the offseason because you have Peyton Miller right behind him. Um, I'm curious to see if they try to keep him in some capacity because when we've seen him, it hasn't been perfect, but he's done a very good job for the role he's playing on this team. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I don't think he, I think he's, you know, at times not been not had some best some good games this year. I'd like to have seen more from him, but I thought he played really well in this game. I definitely think he's better than Ben Sweat. And given all your other options, I think you absolutely need to start him in the playoffs and start Dewan Jones on the right because I also do not want to see Matt Polster at left back ever again. Um, I wouldn't say I never want to see him at right back again, except for the fact that I think he's the Rebs' best number six. So you need to keep him in midfield. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with all that. Spalding should be your left back going forward in the playoffs. Uh, Og on Twitter just says, my thoughts, I want to believe and had a picture of a spaceship. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you respond to that one, but uh, I think everyone wants to believe at this point. Steve McGrogan on Twitter says, Bo Unite- B- believers unite. TMAC comeback is awesome. Put players where they want to play and watch the magic happen. I also think that's a good thought. 
don't know if you have any comment there, but yeah, I think that builds on no. what we said. Put put players where they want to play, and and mm-hmm. things work out better. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that I, I, everyone knows that now, especially Clint Pierre. <laughs> uh Traeger on Twitter said, did Clint Pierre finally find his best eleven and then banish the rest of the team to the shadow realm? Uh I'm assuming that comment has something to do with the lack of subs. Yes, and uh well Kessler for Farrell, which we talked about. Uh, and also as you kind of talked about, maybe the situation here with the standings, the subs were played a little bit differently. I think that if this is a game where you one hundred percent need to win and and you know, maybe you're playing a little bit more defensively at the end, like I said. So I, I expect to see Ima Botang as an impact sub coming off the bench at some point. Uh, I expect to see Mark Anthony Kay in the defensive midfield for Polster or McNamara at some point. Um but and Omar, I, I think too, is going to be coming in at some point. You're going to have him be your kind of closer, your third center back if you're parking the bus, uh, if you if you need to, you know, stay up a goal. Uh, but all things considered, I think that this is the starting eleven with Kessler stepping in for Farrell. Yes. Uh, Alden on Discord talks about the only other potential switch that I could see, um, and he says we put Polster and T-Mac in the pivot and had Noel and Carlos switch. In possession, I feel like I'd rather see Polster and Noel in the middle, Carlos doing what he wants, and add another high offensive output player on the wing spot because Noel is great there, but it's not like he's a big danger from there. Um, any thoughts on that one potential change? And personally, that is the only other change I would consider making, although I think Tommy Mack did fine and was good next to Polster in this game. Yeah, um, you know, Buck, if you look at his heat map too, he he was playing kind of as an attacking right midfielder. Um but I, I thought that was fine. And and if you look at where Carlos Hill is playing, he's also kind of in that zone most of the time, kind of playing on the right. He's kind of more freewheeling, uh, but he's there with Buck as well. And I think they played well off of each other. So um, I get his point, but, you know, who else? So you move Buck to the the, the midfield. Who are you putting in right attack? So Nacho, um, which, you know, maybe. Um, I, I think he's had a string of games and, it's been fine, but uh, you could do Esmir, although Esmir has not played a ton of games lately, I, I don't believe. Um, so I, I think it's more of a selection issue. And um, I, I think Tommy McNamara, as I say, I, I think that worked out very well. So maybe they make that change if Tommy McNamara kind of falls out of form a little bit. Uh, but I, I, I think that Noel Buck kind of playing that attacking right spot uh, and kind of you know connecting with Carlos Hill a little bit, I, I think that worked out perfectly fine. Yeah, Esmir wasn't even in the bench for this one, which is interesting. Um, now that you say that, I didn't... I, I didn't make anything of the time but uh is he on international it, duty i'm trying to remember exactly where he was oh you i think i think you might be right yeah i think he was the one that i think you're right good good call i think he he was the one that um is international duty extended into the weekend so yeah good good point but either way I mean, you, unless you're trying to force wood or Vrioni on and move you know you know maybe do a four two two you know in two strikers which i would not want to do um uh, but I, I think a four two three one i'm not sure he put in that right attacking spot and it kind of fits naturally like glove, unless you're talking about Nacho Heel, but I hit or miss with I'm hot and cold with Nacho Heel. I, I some days I think he's perfectly fine, and some days I it's he's a very frustrating player. Yeah, the, the only reason I think this is something I would consider is because I thought Noel Buck paired very, very well with Polster earlier this season, and the two of them had a lot of chemistry and played really well together. Um, but I, 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 I don't love the options of who you'd put out wide or in the more attacking spot in that situation. So I, that's why I'm not convinced that's, that I would do this. But um, I do think that Buck is very capable of playing as an eight and next to Matt Polster and the two of them worked really well earlier in the season. So I, I could see them doing that. And I could see a situation where the Revs maybe want to, or, you know, are trailing or want to go for a goal. And maybe you pull Tommy McNamara out. You put, you know, no Buck next to Matt Polster and you bring Ima Boateng on to, to, you know, run at guys and put Chonkley on the right and Boateng on the left. And maybe you do that. But, um, you know, all that said, I, th- I think, at least, I think the lineup we saw this game was the lineup that we see next weekend. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Um, all on Discord also ask, what could the Revs have done differently this season to go into playoff series, feeling a little more, uh, feeling like they had their stuff together better? Um, and then he says, Bruce not saying some heinous undisclosed stuff, Rero and Bai not tearing knee ligaments. I think we could spend two hours in the offseason analyzing what could have done differently this season for the Revs for things to go better. I don't know if there's anything to add here. I think the, the, the items he puts out there are part of the list, but um this is probably too long of a question to answer tonight yeah we this is already going to be a very long podcast because you have a million things to talk about after the listener questions but i, I guess you could say the team should have been prepared to lose petrovic a little bit more um and maybe assign a player to take over for next season uh maybe a younger keeper that kind of fits that mold of you know um turner or you know petrovic and maybe, maybe you have that plan b ready to take over because you knew you were selling petro in the winter maybe you can kind of say that as captain hindsight. Um, obviously, the outside back lack of depth. Obviously, uh, Bruce Arena saying something inappropriate. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the usual suspects. I, I think it's a real big combination of kind of everything all together, um, which is is kind of. And I'll also say too, I think one thing that looking back on this 2023 season, this is not necessarily have to do with their lack of form. But one thing I'm really disappointed in is you know Jack Pantiantu and Esmir really have not gotten a lot of run out there with the team. Noel Buck has certainly come through, but I'm disappointed we did not see more appearances from them considering the number of games the Revs have played all year. And Jack P, I, you know, I think he had a lower ceiling, but Esmer is really talked about as a high prospect on a national team level. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see him get lost in the shuffle and get relegated to Revs 2 for almost the entire season when um, really you were kind of hoping to see him take that next step. Yeah, all really good points. Um, Trigger on Twitter says his nephew wants to know, do you think the Dewan no call in the box when he was shoved to the ground in the second half should have been a penalty? Uh, no, and the ref let them play. Uh, there were some other calls that I was surprised were not fouls. Um, I mean, Carl Teal and, and Gustavo Bo at some point took a real beating. Uh, so the Dewan Jones thing was not going to get called, especially in the box. Um, that that maybe a more strict referee would have called that, but the way this game was called, that was not going to get called for a, a penalty, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I also agree with everything you said there. Um, John Anthony on Discord says, what do you think is the best defensive formation in which players playing in the back are going into the playoffs now that we've about seen it all from Clint? Just the formation, I'd say this one. Am I understanding that question? Yeah. That's, yeah, well, that's this, part of it. This, and then what, what players? This, I think these the ones. Line. Minus Farrell. <laughs> these ones. <laughs> yeah, Next, I, I, I 100% agree. Um, again, with the Farrell Kessler question. I think uh, we've touched on that one, so I think we'll we'll skip over that one. But yes, with the, these ones with uh, Kessler and for Farrell. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about the four-man back line where you have four players actually playing the positions that they play in and aren't also supposed to be playing midfield as well as back line. Um, Paul West on Twitter says, it's hard to pick a man of the match, kind of torn between Bo and T-Mac. Always thought we'd figure out how things figure out things before the playoffs, but we did leave it pretty late. Better late than never, and we can still get better. Are you excited about this team again? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, on the excitement meter, I'm probably about a six. I still am very skeptical. I I was very skeptical this team was going to win MLS Cup before. I still think you're going to have to win one of the two games in Philadelphia. Uh, you after this, you probably have to go to FC Cincinnati, which I don't think are getting past them. Um, it's a very tough road for the Revolution. The one speck of hope is that the Philadelphia Union with the drama with Bedoya and Kai Wagner um, it seems like there is I don't want to say turmoil but it seems like they're in a similar situation with the revolution where um, just a lot of frustration I think with how things are ending there and it seems like this is kind of an end of an era feeling around Philadelphia right now so I think the revolution are kind of uh, 
you know, eye for eye, seeing another team that is kind of going through some stuff in the locker room. Um, and so I, I think if you are facing another team that is kind of hitting on all cylinders and has a lot of momentum going into the year, uh, I'd be a little bit more skeptical. But you're, you're playing a team that I think you match up pretty decently with on paper. And on top of that, um, they also kind of ha- match you in the locker room to- turmoil. So I think this opponent is um, they're going to be good matches. And I'm not necessarily saying they're going to win because I, I think stealing a game in Philadelphia on the road against a team that probably considers you a rival. They've they've had some battles over the past couple of years. Uh, that's that's going to be tough. So, um, yeah, I, am I excited? I'm excited because it's playoffs, but I, I do not think they're going to make a deep run. Yeah, so I'm more excited about the opportunities the Revs have than I was a week ago, um, because a week ago I thought the Revs were certainly going to lose two games in a row and be out. Uh, I think now they actually do have a chance at giving Philadelphia a series, Uh, but I'm also with you. I I can't see them getting past Cincinnati in the next round, so I don't don't think they're going to make a very deep run, but I think they could make a slightly deeper run than I thought a week ago, so there's some more excitement than there was uh, a week ago, certainly, but um, I still don't see them in any way as contenders. Eddie on Twitter says the point we lost from a goal called off against Red Bulls. The league admitted it was a wrong call. Cost the Revs home field advantage. Also got Red Bull New York into the playoffs. New York City FC incorrectly called off goals. Also cost the Revs third place. I hate referees. Yeah. And, um, you know, while we're doing the, you know, if this one thing changed differently, uh, if the revolution were able to um, tie Columbus at home uh, in their only home loss of the season, Columbus would have uh, two fewer points. And the Revolution would have one more point. So Columbus would be at 55 points and the Revolution would be at 56 points. The Revs would have home field advantage and the third seed in the playoffs and they would have clinched Champions League. So um, there's a lot of what ifs, you know, McCoon uh, not booting that ball long, um, you know, holding Columbus to a tie in that game. Um, you know, these final few games of Minnesota go on the road at Minnesota and on the road to Colorado and dropping points to teams you really shouldn't be dropping to. Um, it, it's cost them a Champions League uh, spot as well. And, and of course, the Andrew Farrell uh, goal being called off incorrectly, uh, which they at least publicly admitted. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of what ifs uh, in terms of the revolution. And um, it's probably going to cancel them. Uh, uh, probably going to cost them a champions league spot unless i believe a team that's already clinched a spot wins mls cup in which case i believe the revs are next in line for one uh but uh the revs should be there and it took a massive choke job for them to fall out of um uh, of the champions league which which exactly what happened yes and you can blame the referees certainly for lost points but you can also there's plenty of opportunities to blame the revs and mistakes they've made uh and ways that they could have controlled their own destiny regardless of of referees um, and with all that said, too, I haven't I haven't looked into all the other teams that the Rebels are competing with and points that they may have lost by bad refereeing decisions. So <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to just for me, at least personally, to just blame the referees for where the Rebels landed. There's a lot of blame that or most of the blame that belongs to the Rebels themselves. Um, Jake Katniss says, dumber playoff format, the MLS first round best of three or MLB having six wildcard teams and getting their five best teams eliminated before the LCS. So Jake's a Braves fan, in case you guys can tell from that question. Um, MLB's playoffs are dumb. Um, I'm not going to say that, but I think there's no way for MLB to, you know, go from 162 games to shrinking it down. And so them expanding, you're always going to have this problem. I, I think they need to rework their playoff system in some way that benefits, you know, hundred win teams and teams that are on the buy. Cause the teams that are on the buy essentially are, are doing what revs fans say from 2021, which is we have too much time off. We're out of sync, you know, and these other teams are coming in hot. It's kind of nonsense. Um, with that being said, MLS, these, these playoffs are so dumb. Uh, not only is the best of three stupid instead of doing just a home and away, I'd rather do home and away for more than one round than doing this stupid best of three series. But it is ridiculous that teams like 
Kansas City, who I think was winless, the longest team that was winless, I think, uh, at the beginning of the year, or they were at the bottom of the, the standings, somehow can fight their way back. Um, Red Bulls are not a good team. Charlotte's not a good team. Uh, Montreal had a minus a goal differential of minus 16, and they almost made the playoffs. Um, these are bad teams that are, are playing this late in the season. Um, so, you know, I, I, I get it. More, more games, more money. Um, but a lot of these teams suck. And they should not be in the playoffs. And I, I think what really gets me is the best of three format. Um, and for one round have, only. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to get a, a home game for the, you know, every team, do a home and away. I mean, it, you, it's so obvious in my opinion for the way soccer is kind of set up around the world. So it's kind of more just like the MLS is not taking the obvious option, and they're just adding on games for the sake of money and revenue. Yeah, I think do a home and away, which they've done in the past, and have less teams in the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I think MLS is the demo format for all the reasons you said. Um, Evan Ryan on Twitter says, Revs versus Philly, best of three. Format still sucks. I think everyone agrees. Uh, do we get the 2021 rivalry or do we get a non-competitive series? Um, it'll be competitive for the reasons I talked about a few minutes ago. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're already running long, but yeah, it'll be competitive. Yeah, I, th- I think it will, too. Again, I wouldn't have said that a week ago, but now I do. Um, Charles Maddox on Twitter says, How important is the first match in Philly on the day? Uh, and on the day, it was a come-from-behind win and a total 90 minutes performance. Also, I want to give everyone on Revs Recap a big thank you for all you guys do for soccer in New England, and thank you for all your coverage throughout the season. Well, thank you, Charles. Really appreciate you listening in that comment. Uh, but, quick, how important is the first match in Philly? Yeah, just big thank you to Charles and everyone who sticks with us. I know that, you know, we do an hour and – episodes like today it's going to be more than an hour uh but a lot of people you know we retain listeners week after week and we really appreciate the people that tune in every week or close to every week and send in questions and um it really means a lot and i i I don't know about you sean but for me it's the reason why we're still doing this so um big thank you to all of you guys for another fantastic season but um in terms of what was the question i don't even remember (laughs) how important is the first match in philly pretty important i mean if you take that game you have the chance to, to win at home um which i I think really gives a massive advantage to the revolution. Um, I mean, either way, you're going to have to win a game in Philadelphia. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, it's huge. Every game is huge though. I, I, I think really the second game is the most important because that is the game you 100% have to win no matter what, if they lose the first game, I, I still kind of feel like it's kind of like a holding serve type thing where, okay, we can come home and we can win this home leg and then anything can happen in a game three. I, I, I feel like number two is, uh, essentially the one that's way more important to, to me i think the revs have some momentum from this win in the last game of the regular season and i think they need to go into Phil- philly and have a good performance and you know hopefully get a win if they don't and they lose and they play poorly then i think the momentum's gone and so in that sense i think it is important because i think they've had no momentum they finally got a little bit of momentum it's very important they carry that into game one and you know if they lose a close game it's not devastating but if they lose that game in a you know disappointing fashion where they're not playing well um so I, I will say it's important in that they need to have a good a good performance in a competitive match they don't necessarily need to win it it would be huge if they did uh but if they go into that game and lay an egg then i think that's it's, it's going to be very tough for them to find any momentum again i'd agree with that 
Uh, DC on Twitter says, can we get a Revs recap shout out to Michael Bradley's retirement? Like him or not, the dude was a great captain who led by example, one of the best midfielders in U.S. men's national team history and a genuine great person. Uh, I'll take this first. I've always been a big fan of Michael Bradley. I think um, as a number eight, he was a fantastic player for the U.S. men's national team. In his prime, he was one of the best players, if not the best player on the field for the U.S., I thought. Uh, And it's unfortunate that I think he takes so much criticism for you know what happened in 2018, um, and and that situation, and not making the World Cup, uh, and and too much of that is is held against him because it, when he was in, at his best and playing in Europe and in his prime, he was a fantastic player and one one of the best midfielders the U.S. men's national team has ever seen. Yeah, and it's also sad he's going out on. I mean, I shouldn't say it's sad because I'm enjoying Toronto's uh, misery this season, but he, he, they're going out certainly at a low point in Toronto. Um, and I believe his career, I don't know if he played with the, the United States men's national team much after Trinidad and Tobago, but that essentially was the end of his career with them too. So he kind of is going out on some low points, but, um, you know, he had a major impact on soccer in the United States and the United States men's national team. And we talk about the growth of soccer and, you know, obviously the 2002 team has a ton to do with that, but that 2010 team, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, I know they just got out of the group stage, but I feel like there was a lot of momentum of soccer coming out of that as well. So, um, you know, we, we look at the growth of soccer in this country and Michael Bradley was right there. And I'll also add that, you know, this is a guy that left Roma to come to Major League Soccer at a time when Major League Soccer was not a hot commodity by any measure of the imagination. You know, before Messi and Insigne and, you know, all the other super, you know, Zlatan, um, I believe he was before Zlatan, but, um, you know, Michael Bradley came over. Um, I believe pretty relatively young. I mean, he's been in MLS for seven or eight years now. Yeah, I think I think um, he was only 27 or 28 when he came yeah. back. He he left a very promising career in Europe uh, and in Syria A, where um, Syria A. I don't know why I said it like that, but um, he left a very promising career in Italy and with Roma to come to Toronto FC and uh, him and. You know, I know Josie did not work out very well in, in Europe, but, you know, I remember Sebastian Giovinco was with the Italian national team and he kind of came over as a, a very surprising move. You know, he he took a big chance on Major League Soccer, too. So uh, Michael Bradley deserves some credit, I'd say, for being there with the growth of soccer in the United States with the national team. But also he he made a very big career choice coming to TFC when he did, when the league was not what it is today. And um, he was one of the guys that I think I don't want to say put MLS on the map, but. Um, him and Giovinco and Josie and what TFC did, I think that was the beginning of people looking at MLS as a place that, you know, maybe players in the prime of their careers can go. And, and, and you know, I gave him a lot of credit, too, because people talk about him leaving Europe too early as a, as a negative on him. But he's he also played eight years in Europe. So it wasn't like he was just there a flash in the plan. He had a lot of success in the Dutch League. He had a lot of success in Germany. He had a lot of success in Italy. Um, he even, you know, played a few games for Aston Villa in England. Um, he had a, a very successful career in Europe, and I, I don't begrudge him taking a big payday and coming back to MLS and supporting the the local league in that way. Um, and you know, it was brave of him too to to leave as a teenager to go over to to you know the Dutch Eredivisie and play really well there. So um, yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate, like you said, that his career is ending in kind of a low note and how Toronto played this year and that his career at the national team, though it wasn't the end of it in 2018, was pretty close to the end of it and kind of the last major moments for him. So. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic player that I think sometimes is remembered for the wrong things. And, and you know, people that actually really paid attention to his career and his prime uh, saw a fantastic midfielder that, you know, there, there's few like him um, that have played for the U.S. men's national team. So, yeah, good good shout out there from D.C. 
and it's worth pointing out too, and then we can move on. I, I, this is turning into compliments about Sebastian Giovinco, but Sebastian Giovinco was left out of some Italian squads because he played in Major League Soccer. I mean, that's where the league was back then that, you know, it was looked down upon very much. So um, again, I, I just want to kind of reemphasize that, you know, seven, eight years ago when he came over, it's not at all what it was now. It's a completely different league in terms of talent level and stuff like that. So, um, and as I say, that TFC team, I, I think really changed the course of the league for the better. Um, let's switch it up. We're done with questions. There's several other topics we want to talk to talk about. Um, first one, uh, I, I want to get your take on the athletic reporting that Bruce Arena has expressed interest in the DC United job. Um, should clarify that it sounds like they're not really looking at coaches yet there. I think they're in a similar situation as the Revs where they're trying to hire a sporting director or a GM before they hire coaches. So that's also, I guess, an interesting, not to, not to d- d- go too deep in, but also kind of interesting caveat since Bruce, you know, did both those roles for the Revs. Um, but any initial thoughts on that athletic report yeah it, it worth the same grain of salt we gave a few weeks ago when you know phil neville was tied to the revs job and uh, uh, uh i forget who the other person was um but any coaching names now apparently are you know they're just names until a, a sporting director comes in and then uh, you know when names come out after that i think you can take it a little bit more seriously also worth noting that pablo moore of the athletic also reported that bruce arena threw his name in for consideration at dcu in 2018 before he came to the revs and that was at as a GM, sporting director slash head coach, similar to a role he played in New England. And DC United was not very interested then. So you would think if they weren't interested then, they might not be as interested now. Again, a sporting director would change that. But Bruce expressing interest, you know, I could express interest in the DC United job. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm getting it. Uh, this seems like to me like someone from Bruce's camp is sprinkling something to the athletic that, hey, Bruce is out on the market and he's already inquired about DC United. I think that's kind of what's happening here. Um, I would guess he's not landing in DC. I don't know who is going to pick him up after everything that's happened with the revolution, but I will say that there was an article by um, Ian Nicholas Quillen uh, from Forbes and I highly recommend it. I retweeted it on Twitter, um, but if not just Google, uh, Google it, but he makes a very good point that, you know, Bruce Arena has been out of a job for a month, month and a half. The investigation went on for a month, a month and a half. If he takes a new job, he can't just go away quietly. There's going to have to be some sort of explanation to what exactly has happened here. And right now, the perk of Bruce Arena not getting a job and ending his career in Major League Soccer is he's going away. But um, the way it's been structured with Major League Soccer is he has to petition his way to get, to be employed uh, in Major League Soccer again. So if that happens... Um, Major League Soccer has a lot of questions. They can't just hide uh, on this one. Bruce Arena is going to be at press conferences every week, and he's going to get these questions every week. He's probably not going to answer them, uh, but it's going to be really, really bad luck. And by the way, DC United, if you're going to hire a guy that had to resign for inappropriate language, that probably isn't going to help you with the lawsuit that your former trainer is bringing against you because you fired him for doing the circle game, which... If you don't know the circle game, it has an alternative meaning, which is a big no-no these days. But it did genuinely used to be the circle game uh, decades ago uh, when I was a young lad. Uh, So, you know, if you're firing someone over a questionable gesture, it's hard to then bring in someone as a head coach with a much bigger spot of authority after he had to resign in disgrace uh, for inappropriate language and conduct. So I I would guess he has a 0.0001% chance of getting this DC United job. But this really, to me, is a signal uh, a little bruce bat signal out to the rest of major league soccer that he's interested in coaching again yeah i i think it's unlikely for all the reasons you said i wouldn't go quite as low as a percentage as you did uh, because i think there are for dc united they do need a change in direction and bruce arena was the guy that when they 
you know, the league first started, turned them into the league's first dynasty. So from that perspective, it would be a nice storyline if you ignore everything else that's happened over the past two months. And that, you know, here's Bruce Arena who turned this team into a dynasty coming back to try to fix them and, and make them good again. And for Bruce Arena, you know, a way to kind of cap his career as the team that he started as professional coaching at uh, to kind of end it there and, and make them successful again. Um, so ignoring everything that's gone on, it would make a lot of sense and, and be a great story. Um, but you know, it, it, without there being an explanation as to what happened for all the reasons you said, it, it makes no sense. Uh, so I, I, I don't see it happening, but I wouldn't put it as low of a percentage as you did. <laughs> um, salary data came out. We've already had it for guys that were here already. Um, but some interesting data points for the midsummer signings, Ian Harks at just 252,000 guaranteed. Uh, that seems to be a bargain. I don't know if you have any comments on that, but that, that seems like a good, a good move. Can't seeing that number. You certainly can't question why they brought him in. Yeah. I mean, it was a six month contract that was guaranteed. I don't know what the two year option after this is going to be. So maybe there's a big raise there. Um, but this was a great signing. I, I still am a little confused about the criticism about it. Very low risk worked out really great. If he was still there, he'd be starting. So great signing. <laughs> no, no complaints. Um, I think Mark Anthony K we already knew about cause we yes. already had the TFC data. Um, and uh, then I believe Chancolet and Vasilik were the only other signings that we, we now know. Um, is that correct? Yes, and and Chanclay is at seven hundred twenty six thousand guaranteed. Um, it's hard to know what that means for next year. I think that number changes, but that if, if that number with what he's playing like that's a, another fantastic signing. And Vasilik is at four hundred thirty seven thousand, um, which is a, a decent chunk for a goalkeeper that's played zero minutes. It's worth noting these numbers are annualized, so it's over a season. But yeah, Vasilik is you know that's a, that's starter money. He should be starting. We talked about that enough. Chanclay, uh, if that's the salary going forward, that really. You know, I, I know it's been debated whether or not he's a designated player and or Tam and with people reporting different things that really puts him right on the edge. If he it's a I think it's been reported it's a three million dollar transfer fee. If he has a three year guaranteed deal, that's uh, one million dollars being attributed to his cap hit. So that puts him really close to that max Tam number. So uh, I'm curious to see, uh, you know, that that it's really difficult to tell whether or not he's a Tam or designated player. That was the only other thing I was hoping to get out of this uh, at this stage in the season. Cause if Sean Calais was at 1.3 million, we'd know he's going to be a designated player. If he was at 400,000, we'd know he's probably going to be Tam. Uh, but it's really right in that middle zone of boy. I, I don't know which way this is going to go. Yeah. Uh, supporter summit took place this week. Brian below answering some questions from the rebellion and the midnight riders. Uh, lots of good reporting on that one. The blazing musket had a story about it. The rebellion had the full transcript. Um, any takeaways for you from what you saw from the supporter summit? So I, I'm going to just run through kind of the major bullet points that I found interesting. Um, he was first adamant that Bruce resigned and that they did not force him out, which I thought was pretty interesting. I mean, of course, he's going to say that, but he really seemed that there was very little to do with the investigation from the club side. And then he doesn't know what, much from what was publicly known. Um, he expects the Chanclay purchase option be purchased. I mean, he really no commented pretty much everything on the on the field stuff. And he says that's up to the sporting director. But he said, um, you know, I, I I would be surprised if a, the new sporting director does not uh, pick up Chanclay. Um Also mentions that the attitude change towards spending was pre-Bruce, which Yes, kind of true. Uh, our payroll is still considerably high, and hopefully we have money to spend next year. And pending league rules, we will see where the club stands on our vision and how we want to get better each year. That is a quote from Brian. Um, so it sounds like the Bruce years, we're still going to see the level of uh, investment. Uh, they also said that the Revs are looking to hire different people for the head coach and sporting director roles, uh, which is interesting. And I think that also means 
we won't see a superstar quote unquote head coach come in and kind of do a you know a Bruce situation. I think we're going to see kind of more of a seasoned executive from MLS come in in this, this sporting director role, and then maybe another MLS coach, uh, someone we've talked about in the past. Um, Petrovic, this is a very interesting. I, I think this is kind of the big key takeaways. Uh, this is a quote from Brian. When the Chelsea uh, offer came in, we were toast. This is not a shot at Georgie, but the player was gone. He got an offer that he can't say no to. We're super happy for him. He's a great kid, but unfortunately it happened the way it did this summer, and we fought offers, uh, fought off offers for him and got away with it. Uh, and he also added that Chelsea said there, they were, there was no chance at a loan. There was no interest from a loan from Chelsea, which, Sean, you and I are well aware of. Some people don't believe that, but we, we know that Chelsea was not interested in letting him back because – the Premier League was starting in the summer, and of course, why would you loan back a player spending $17 million on? But I think this kind of tells what we've been talking about, which is that, you know, Georgie was looking elsewhere. When the initial bids came in, it really took a lot of pull to keep him here and say, you have to honor your contract and you need to turn down these raises and contracts from bigger offers. Um, and, you know, the revs were at a much better point of leverage because they could say, well, these offers aren't high enough. It sounds like with the Chelsea offer and the line where he says, uh, this is not a shot at Georgie, um, it sounds like Brian Bellello is tipping his hand that they had a lower value on Petrovic than Chelsea did. And, and Chelsea uh, overpaid a little bit, which I think is the case. So I, I thought that quote was very interesting. Uh, also, uh, stadium stuff uh, says moving to Boston makes them a jewel of MLS, but he's aware they will lose season ticket holders. And also, he says that the team has had its lowest season ticket membership cancellations this year and will break the season ticket membership rates in 2024. And he also notes that 2024 season tickets are twice what it was in 2018, which makes sense since that was kind of a low point for the refs. But I found the uh, record season ticket membership in 2024 uh, and also a low in cancellations. Very fascinating. And I think that adds context to the question of why does Brian have a job, which was a question we got from last week too. So it seems like from the business side of things, things are very, very well uh, at Patriot Place. So those are the big key topics. Um, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add there, Sean. Uh, well, on, on the season ticket holder uh, one, I, I, imagine that Messi being the league has helped with ticket sales as well i will say i just that's the one 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 uh kind of uh bullet point i would say that is worth noting um on on petrovic i I think that was a very interesting one uh i guess not the the most interesting part was how involved crafts were in that decision i guess which is i guess not surprising um because at the end of the day it is their money um but that i thought that was interesting and again you know, Chelsea wanted him now because they needed a backup goalkeeper. He's on their bench every game. Um, and Robert Sanchez has a few more performances like he had this weekend. He might be starting soon. So they didn't want to wait to bring him in. He's a young goalkeeper. He you know needs to get acclimatized to the team. They had the need now. They weren't waiting. A team like that was not going to wait. So, um, you know, interesting stuff. No huge surprises. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think that your two takeaways were the same as, as mine were. Uh, I'll also say, too, and I, I don't want to harp too long on this, but I, I thought the Rebellion did a really, really good job uh, hosting this. I know a lot of people didn't feel this would be impactful or um, it wasn't the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate Corey coming on and explaining the reasoning to why this course of action. And it seems like the reaction from this has been really positive, really on both sides from the team and from the supporters. I mean, I guess not from the team. The team doesn't really make a comment from it, but it seems like the supporters got what they wanted out of it. It seems like Lola was challenged at points um, respectfully. Um, and I, I think he answered these questions fairly well. So the rebellion has a full transcript uh, on their website, anyrebellion.org. Um, I highly encourage everyone to, even though I've summarized the key points, give it a read through because it's full of very, very interesting information. Um, and 
a little confused at the criticisms before. Um, there was a little bit of criticism after uh, on on holding this event, but you know, I the rebellion are. I think the people that went deserve a lot of credit for going and asking questions and demanding answers. And it's very easy to do that on Twitter and send out a tweet uh, or on Discord and, and demand change. Um, but, you know, it's a different thing going there and looking the club president in the eye and saying things. And I appreciate Corey, you know, making himself available for questions if someone couldn't make it or was not part of the rebellion. Um, it, it seemed like this was an event that uh, was very well done. And, um, yeah, I, I just want to give a, a major shout out to Corey and the rebellion for, for doing this and providing a full transcript. Yeah. I, I, it's great that they did this and it's very great that they were able to write the full transcript as well. So I'm, I, I'm with you on all of that. Um, one other piece of news, the revolution have signed Ford Malcolm Fry as a homegrown player from Revs 2, 18 year old from Groton, Massachusetts. What can you tell me about him? 18 years old, signed to a three-year contract uh, through 2026 with a 2027 option. He's the 13th homegrown player signed. He had 37 appearances with Revs 2. He had six goals and three assists. A little surprised that uh, Jordan Adebayo-Smith was not signed. We talked about, uh, actually, I talked about it with uh, Caleb Pongratz uh, last week. Uh, we talked about potential guys making the move up. And I did not mention Malcolm Fry, but he did. Uh, he added on some, some names. So I was expecting uh, Adebayo-Smith to be signed uh, more likely than Malcolm Fry, but I think the reason why is Adebayo Smith is more of a striker, um, traditional striker, I should say. Malcolm Fry, he's listed as a forward, but uh, when you watch his highlights, he seems to be coming in from the wing a little bit, so he seems to be someone that could be a winger uh, or kind of an inside forward. Um, seems to be a little bit you know, flexible on where you can put him on the field. Uh, to me, this strikes me as a bit of a longer-term move, similar to Peyton Miller, similar to Santiago Suarez, where maybe he's not making a massive impact next season, uh, but he's going to be a depth guy that's going to get minutes here and there. I'm also going to guess this seals Justin Reddick's fate. I do not expect him to come back because um, Justin Reddick's right now is really your depth striker slash depth winger. Um, Malcolm Fry, I think, can fill both of those roles, um, and he fits in nicely on the supplemental roster, younger longer-term project, um, it seems like Justin Rack's time, to me, uh, this sig signifies that his time is up with the, re uh, the revolution. I believe he's, Justin Rack, by the way, has taken out uh, the revolution from all of his social media handles and descriptions and stuff like that. Someone told me that a few weeks ago. So uh, I, I'm guessing that this is Malcolm Fry coming in, not expected to make a major impact, uh, and Justin Rack is being forced to weigh out. Are you surprised at the urgency of kind of this signing that they've done it when, you know, lots of talk about things not happening until they make a decision on sporting director that with all the interim guys that they made this signing? Yes. Uh, and again, it's it's very confusing to me that, you know, Brian Blow, again, read the transcript, every decision. Hey, it's going to be up to the new sporting director. And meanwhile, your interim sporting director is signing guys from the academy, at, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe. Anolfo, I mean, this is a longer term move. So if not, whether or not Anolfo is here or not, you know, you could have made this move next year. So I, I don't know if someone is telling him to make these moves um, or if he's doing these because he genuinely thinks this is the best thing for the club. Um, but it is odd that, you know, there's kind of a time and flux and we're making this signing here. It's it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, I, I, that that part doesn't make sense to me unless there's you know some interest from another team to bring him in. And this was a preventative move. So I don't. I, I mean, I'm not aware of anything, but that's the only way that you know, the urgency makes sense to me. But um, again, it, it seems like a long term move in that sense. It makes makes some sense. It's just weird that he's the guy they go out and, and sign now while they're still on the interim stage. Um, anyways, end of season awards announced. Carlos Heel took home a lot of them. Uh, team MVP, Team Golden Boot, Players Player of the Year, Midnight Riders Man of the Year. Um, 
yeah, a good, good, good night for Carlos Hill. Um, Defender of the Year, Dave Romney, no surprise there. Academy Player of the Year, uh, Olger Escobar. Um, any thoughts? Uh, well, on Carlos Hill, um, we, we actually, who was our team MVP? Uh, that was a question we posted on uh, the Blazing Musket for, uh, I believe it's a subscriber-only piece, but we do a weekly roundtable, and that question came up, and I make my argument for why Carlos Hill should be the team MVP. It really comes down to Carlos Hill or Dave Romney. Some people... I think would also throw Petrovic into that, but as someone pointed out to me, I don't think you should really should be uh, uh, naming team MVP someone who kind of quits on the team during League's Cup. So it really, to me, was between Dave Romney uh, and Carlos Hill, and Carlos Hill is still a phenomenal playmaker. Uh, there was a lack of quality at the striker position, uh, but Carlos Hill uh, still with a phenomenal season, 11 goals, 15 assists. Uh, even if you want to just count primary assists, I believe he finished with eight, including the one from yesterday. He is fourth in expected assists, according to both American Soccer Analysis and FootMob. And by the way, Sean, uh, do you know, according to FootMob, uh, who had the best FootMob rating in MLS throughout the season? Do you know who it was? I, I believe that was Carlos Hill. Carlos Hill. Carlos Hill is still uh, one of the best playmakers in the league, and he had 11 goals. Um, a phenomenal offensive performance from him. Uh, we really take this guy for granted, but uh, a really, really good year and a year which saw him with uh, some poor strikers, Burrow out, uh, Brandon Bay out on the right wing. Um, there, there were some difficult challenges, uh, and he really stepped up for this team. So no issue with the MVP. Um, and do you have anything to add on that, or should I move on? No, I no, no surprises at all uh, with, with him winning that award. Quick, uh, Olgar Escobar, Academy Player of the Year, uh, MLS Next All-Star. He was also the U-17 MLS Next MVP. 15 goals in 17 appearances with uh, the Revs U-17. Also moved up to the U-19 uh, Revs team, which won their championship in July. Uh, he is signed to Revs 2. He only played about 500 minutes for them so far this season, so he didn't make that much of an impact. I expect him to get a lot more minutes with Revs 2 next season. Um, and also, he's the ninth player to win the Academy Player of the Year award. This award goes back to 2014. Sean trivia time how many of the other eight players that have won the academy player of the year award can you name you said it goes back to 2014 14 yeah i'm putting you on the spot here Uh, other than ones that have signed for the first team probably probably none (laughs) oh well this is trivia you gotta knit come on our listeners are listing off all the names and they're really disappointed in shot is is justin rennix on that list one he's the only player to win it twice 2015 2016 is Damian Rivera on that list? No. Oh boy. Jeez. Oh. Uh, Noel Buck. Yep. Two. Jack Peniotu. Yep. Is Esmir on the list? No, he wouldn't be. Nope. Nope. No, he wouldn't be because he wasn't here very long. Uh, yikes. I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> uh, one me. other player. One other player signed a first team contract with a team, and he won it in 2014. Oh, is, get... is that Diego Fagundes? No. No. Because I know he would be before that, right? Defensive midfielder, Sean. You oh, Scott, Cal- Scott Caldwell? No, Scott Cal- Come on. Academy. Who was in the Academy in 2014? He had Shalry's number. Uh, okay. Oh, Haravu. Zach Haravu. It's embarrassing. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> I just want to list off these other names because some of them you might get. You might remember uh, Trevor Burns in 2020. He's playing at Georgetown. You might remember uh, Tyler Freitas, who came back and played with Revs 2. Maybe you remember Kevin Vang in 2018 uh, after he, he went over to play at PC. Uh, and then, of course, the legend Joe Brito, who uh, I believe currently is playing with Union Omaha. Uh, I just wanted to kind of highlight those names. Haravu, Renix, Brito, Vang, Freitas, Burns, Noel Buck, and Jack Pentietu. Um The academy is getting better. 
uh, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to show how uh, there's really been a steep incline in the last three years in the academy, and hopefully Escobar uh, can continue. So, yeah, I, I thought you'd do better. I thought you were going to get Hervo and, and Renix right off the bat. You did get Renix right off the bat, but a little, little disappointed you couldn't get uh, good old Zach. Uh, you know, it's late at night. What can I What can I say? I'm, st- I'm still on London time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, last piece of news on my list is that Nicholas Firmino has signed a new contract with Atlanta United. So uh, good for him. 22 years old, three-year deal through 2026. Best uh, 11 for MLS Next Pro. He scored 16 goals and six assists. Uh, he was also the 2020 uh, USL League One Young Player of the Year, I believe, for Revs 2. Uh, and then they let him go. Um, I listened to the podcast of the 2020 contract decisions back in the day, uh, which was you, me, uh, and Chris Falukas, uh, our good friend. Um, you can tell back then we were very confused why we were letting go of Nick Ferbino. Uh We're really making up a, a lot of reasons that we think might be true, but it was definitely one that I remember at the time confused us. And I went back and I listened to it and you could tell how confused we are trying to explain what exactly uh, happened in, in letting Nick Firmino go. Um, it is worth noting, you know, he did go to Union Omaha for a year and he wasn't a full-time starter when they won uh, USL League One championship. Uh, and then he went to Atlanta too and has really developed over the past couple of years, scored a goal on a, one of the short-term uh, call-up contracts uh, earlier this year for Atlanta. And now he's got a three-year contract, I assume, on a supplemental roster spot. So great to see him finally make it and get his footing and and get a path back to Major League Soccer. But um, I do think you can kind of, you know, maybe back in 2020, he was not ready to make that leap uh, and he needed a few years of development because it took him three years to get back into Major League Soccer. So, um, but I think when we see him play against the revolution, if we see him play against the revolution, if he does make a big impact for Atlanta, it's definitely going to feel like the one that got away. So um, very good for Nick Firmino. Um, don't be too good of a player, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he was only 19 when the Revs got rid of him. So when you say he needed more development, they've given plenty of development to some of the other players that were that age, like Justin Rennick. So it's an interesting decision looking back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it for me. I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything I missed? Uh, there's more talk about Everett, blah, 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 blah. We can talk about Everett at a different time. More of the same. They're trying to get the same environmental stuff passed through. Um, I mean, uh, there's more smoke. It does feel like they are. I don't want to necessarily say all in, but Everett is a real thing that the Revs are trying to make work, I would say, at this point. Whether or not they make it work, it's yet to be seen. But uh, Also, we got to give a shout-out to our Bryant University Bulldogs, ranked for the first time in program history uh, in, in the sport of soccer. So go Bulldogs. Yeah, I, they have been absolutely amazing and a great storyline to watch. Still only one loss on the season. Um, I'm very excited to see where they go from here. But nice nice to have our soccer team ranked. I used to do play-by-play for them years ago, and they were really bad. So I'm glad to see that they're good now, and I'm, I'm jealous of those that get to cover the team now. Did you do it in a British accent? <laughs> you know, I should have. You should have. <laughs> Some people do that, and uh, it, it really worked out for them years later. <laughs> uh, I will also say... And I want our listeners to know, it looks like we're going to keep this under an hour and a half. That is a miracle. And I know I talked way more than you, Sean, and I apologize, but we were looking at this rundown and we were very concerned this was going to break an all-time record for longest podcast episode. Uh, And and it isn't. We nailed it. So good for us. Thank you for listening. If you're still listening, thank you. Uh, And and with that, where can people follow you on social media? And I'll I'll let you do the honors of giving out our social media. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I'll just give out the shows. Please follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and of course, Threads. Be our friend on Threads. We need more friends on Threads. Um, If you want to follow my personal account, it's at Real G Johnstone. Although I really do not talk about soccer that much, I'm going to be talking about it at Revolution Recap. By the way, 
If you don't follow us on Twitter, please get us there. I think we're two off from 1,500. Let's get us over uh, that mark. I think we're only four followers away from 400 on Instagram, too. So uh, give us a follow. Come on. Let's go. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue. Also, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts. I think you can rate us on Audible. I think we only got one rating there. So if you if you use Audible, give us a rating. Uh, be sure to check out our friends at the Blazing Musket. Thanks again to listening to Re- thanks again for listening to Revolution Recap presented by Bet Online. We'll be back after the first playoff game with another podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.